Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Walter Lamotte, who is the president and CEO of Bentley & Co. Limited. Welcome to the podcast, Walter. Well, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to having you on. First of all, tell us about your role as president and CEO at Bentley & Co. And, and a bit about the organization as well. So I've been, uh, I, you know, during the, uh, the pandemic and being in the travel business, because we're a... Um, a company that basically takes all of your needs from travel, whether it be a back to school backpack or a, a luggage for long trips or short trips or whatever have you. And um, our role is to make that journey as pleasant and as secure as possible. So um, I've been with Bentley four years going on two. Um, we kind of lost two years in the whole uh, recent, <laughs> the, the pandemic has been uh, pretty tough on this business. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a role, um, we basically are, um, I spent my career in turnarounds and in finding uh, the jewel in the businesses that uh, sometimes lost their way or built in a, in such a way that they couldn't prosper from t today's current conditions. And this was one of those challenges. And um, I'd like to say that uh, after two years uh, of shutdown, we were able to rebuild a lot of the essence of, uh, of the business and, uh, we're, we're on our way to, uh, to prosperity. Well done. That's no small feat. Uh, that's, maybe, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> maybe that's something we can, we can hear a bit more about, um, as we chat, but let's, let's start with your story. And I'd love to ask you about, uh, you know, to start with your childhood you know, when, when you were little, Walter, and, uh, you know, in that season of your life, what are the moments or even the themes from when you were little that really shaped you into the person and the leader that you are today, Walter? Well, like everyone, they all, everyone has a story. Uh, the story begins with me as uh, a farm boy, um, not liking too much the whole cattle and, uh, and bringing in a lot of hay and very little money and uh, hard work and hot days. And uh, one day my dad decided to um, to switch over from uh, dairy to uh, market garden. And um, I kissed the ground the cows left on. And um, we started to um, to create a, an environment where we could basically uh, sell vegetables from door to door. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was uh, it was something that felt very, very natural. And um, I was learning from my my first and my first mentor was my mom on the road, and so three days a week we'd uh, take a half uh, half ton pickup uh, on the road, go door to door like the old days, and there was actually people at home, uh, like they're hard today, I guess when you look at it full circle, um, and um, and we'd sell fresh produce uh, for three months of the year. We had greenhouses and we had um, fields of uh, pick your own strawberries and those kind of things. And so, yeah, so in that environment, um, it became, uh, 
an obvious um, uh, choice to be with uh, customers and to understand that uh, every day is a goal. And as you lay down those goals, it's uh, it was always a good feeling in comparison to, mm. you know, very hard work bringing in 10,000 bales of hay to make $12 a week <laughs> and selling the cream. So wow. um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And yeah, it was just, uh, we were, we were, I guess poor, but nobody told us so. So uh, we didn't know it at the time, but, um, and it was just, uh, it was just a good enriching experience. I was the youngest of uh, seven kids. My uh, mother raised uh, uh, nine grand uh, foster kids uh, for various amounts of times. Then we had hired help, whatever we could, uh, we could afford to bring on for the labor intense uh, world. So it was always a, a household filled with many, many people. And uh, I'd always ask my mom, could you just put a special plate that would be marked for me so I know where to sit down? Because while everyone else is arguing where to sit, I want to start eating. I'm hungry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's, that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of... Uh, of that and um school was uh was a challenge for me and the country uh you know see looking back now and all the opportunities that the kids had, even then i guess in the city um the there wasn't much value put into uh to the education port and so um i was consulted uh you know or, or, or said that the best thing for me to do would be to get a trade i was just sharing that with my one of my granddaughters tonight and I said, go with your passion, because when you go with what people tell you, um, I'd be a miserable welder today. And uh, matter of fact, I went down that, I got, uh, got my, my courses in that, I, I got certified welding, and I hated every single minute of it. And then um, coming out of that, <laughs> that moment, I was still only 20 years old, or less mm. than 20, found my way into retail. And that was the closest I could find that would marry that moment where we were selling from door to door and knocking on doors um, and actually uh, serving customers and, uh, and <laughs> who knew I'd be selling suits at, the, at that time. But uh, yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was a journey through um, pipeline in the West and uh, mm. I was uh, homeless for um, probably four months in the Western province uh, of Canada and uh, in the middle of winter, which wasn't the smartest thing. And, um, yeah, so lots wow. of learnings through, um, uh, what I look back and it says, well, you know, I should have considered that a very hard times, but again, I guess my naivety just told me that it was a new adventure and we're going to figure it out. And, um, yeah, so I found my way into retail and I've been around there pretty well ever since. It's interesting that, um, knowing that you, you know, as you mentioned in, in the intro that you really, uh, you know, often step in and, and, and lead turnarounds, it was almost like you had a front row seat to that as your, uh, your family, um, did a bit of a, a, a turnaround from uh, from farming and cows and hay into door to door. <laughs> you know, I never saw it that way, but that's true. Yeah, it was a reinvent completely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, um, I'll put it's, that in my new stories now. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. Your first um, turnaround. <laughs> yeah, your first turnaround. Um, really, as the uh, as the COO to your mum, the CEO, by the sounds of it. Um, so <laughs> that's right. Incredible, um, incredible resilience. I can only imagine being built from a bunch of those experiences. Like you, like you said, in hindsight, we were poor, but I didn't. We didn't realize it at the time. So, um, and, and I really love that. What are the biggest lessons you learned from your childhood, from some of those, the hard knocks of door to door when you were when you were young, and then 
you know, living like you said, <laughs> homeless in, it sounds like I'm in Australia here, so I can't even fathom how cold it must have been in Canada in, um, in the winter. What, what, <laughs> less, what lessons did you learn from some of those experiences that have really stuck with you, um, you know, as a CEO today? Well, I guess there's so many, you'd never put it in one podcast, but you know, the, the type of lessons that, um, that you're learning and you don't even recognize that you're learning it at the time is, is resilience, I guess is, is the biggest thing. And, um, you know, just keep finding that, um, that small little nugget of information or, or a nugget of, um, of wisdom that comes from somebody that you've even just sometimes only seen once in your life. Um, and just how, if you're constantly living in the question, which is uh, anyone who works with me would understand that that's something I ask a lot of everyone is to live in the question, not the answer. And being the youngest, um, you know, you had to listen a lot. Um, because when you, uh, when you're a kid and your older siblings, especially the, uh, the brothers are nine and up to 20 years older, um, you become the very tail end of any conversation. So you have no much choice. You can't really contribute, right? So uh, listening skills uh, started pretty early. And um, I think that that's between listening, the resilience to understand that, you know what, I thought this was the end of the world, but look at here we are. And even weeks later after, a, you know, a farm disaster of some sort or another. And the first thing you know, three weeks later, we're past that. And, uh, you know, crops, failures, and all of these things that just happen on a daily basis. I remember one uh, one year, my father was uh, following the stock market, and he says, we're going to plant beans. He says, beans is where it's at. And I said, okay, let's go for beans. And I, again, I'm a kid, so I don't know any better. And uh, so we plant fields and fields of beans. Well, that summer was the rainiest summer we probably ever had, uh, if, if not a 50-year record. And so the beans turned out, we had like 10 100-pound bags of beans at the end of the summer, which is not very much for the amount of space we gave it. And uh, the price at the market by then was $3 because a lot of people had the same idea. So he said, well, the hell with it. I'm not going to sell them. We'll eat every one of them. So we put them in the storehouse and it took us 10 years to eat them all. <laughs> so it's like, uh, how do you handle a disaster? You turn it into a joke and, and yeah. you know, you just, it's, there's nothing you can do about the weather, right? It's just what it is. That's right. So knowing what you can change, knowing what you can't change and, and knowing how to maneuver uh, the things that you can't change is, is very important. The last two years have not been uh, easy for any country in the world. Uh, Australia is really uh, probably the worst of all as far as uh, lockdowns and impediments against uh, against regular routines, but Canada was a pretty close second. And um, you just figure out how to make through uh, the next challenge, and you don't think too far ahead in those days. And now we're past it. You think very far ahead. So what could we do? Uh, my father used to, to, he said he figured out late in life that one of the things that he missed early in life is to have something out in the distance that he could look forward to. He says he was so, so present all the time that if things were tough, it was tough all the time. But if you have something to look forward to, you can somehow live in that moment. And I think that translates well to business as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember, um, uh, I had a guest on the podcast who mentioned, um, you know, that in his upbringing, he grew up in Lebanon and there was a war and his family ended up um, emigrating to the US. And um, uh, yeah, one thing he said is even with things like COVID, he just, he had this uh, resilient <clears throat> mindset from growing up in that context that was, 
okay, we need to pick up our whole lives and move to a new country. Okay, that's what we got to do. And um, and he and he described how that sort of horrible circumstance has. Um, but has also given him this mindset that when something like COVID happens, he naturally goes, um, okay, well, now we've got a pandemic, so we need to uh, change everything and work out a new way to do it. Whereas a lot of other people struggle, in his experience, have struggled to deal with those sort of changes because they they haven't necessarily had formative life experience with, with mega, mega life change. That's correct. And we saw that a lot, and I think COVID is uh, is is prime for how people have adapted. And it's funny because you know people could not adapt to remote working, and after two years, they're having a hard time adapting to going back to the office. So it's like there's people that just have a hard time adapting. Period. <laughs> Any change? Yeah, it's true. What what have you um, like? How have you found it leading different generations, and also? people different people who haven't necessarily had some of that resilience um because of some of your circumstances you had in your upbringing like you said have you found it challenging to grow that in people is that something that can be grown are you finding that there are people who they may have completely different circumstances but they they've sort of been able to develop resilience on their own what's your experience with others being around resilience yeah, I think the experience has uh, has a lot to do uh, with um, with how people are and behave, but I think it's it's just one factor. I think there's some raw material um, that you'll meet someone. She's 22, he's 23, um, and you you speak to them about how they view um, world and responsibility and their role in it. And while they still act their age, they're as responsible as anyone I've met in my entire career. Um, and you'll get others who have, again, various backgrounds, uh, even hardship that take that um, and don't use it as experience building. And you take people that have the silver spoon and have done exceptionally well. So you, I don't think there's, I think there's way too much generalization about who the people are. And, you know, if you look back, I, I'm a fan of old movies and, and I listen to the old movies and, and you'll hear the mom say, you know, that what am I going to do with the kids these days? <laughs> it's, like, it's 1948. Um, you know, the kids these days are the kids these days. And I think that um, the character of the person should over override uh, the generation. Now, that being said, um, I do think that there is something. Um, can you hear me? Sir? <laughs> um, I think there's something to be said about uh, ensuring that um, you respect the lifestyle that uh, that some are just accustomed to. I mean, I think some of the younger generation actually say, you know what, I know what I want and I'm holding out for that and I respect them for that. As long as it matches what the goals are, the people that are True. expected to pay them. <laughs> I think, and I think that's that's the big point of the great resignation right now that, uh, that we're seeing in some ways across the world is people are saying, you know what? Um, no, I'm not going to settle for... Uh, for those circumstances, I'm going to find something better. And um, yeah, I think people, I think there is something positive about people going, actually, you know what, I want, I'm, I'm, I, I believe that it's possible for me to find a job where I have flexibility, which is going to work better for my family. So I'm not going to stay in a, in a job where it's too restrictive, if that's really important to me. Um, and it's hard for employers, but it's I, overall, I think, 
I really respect that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, it's um, you know the, this whole hybrid, you know, work from home and work from uh, from a, a fixed uh, fixed area. I think there there's a there's a good combination of both. I don't believe ever in the business that I've been in that um, if I see you, I know you're working. I think that the management's job is always to ensure that the outcomes are predetermined uh, as goal setting and um, and then manage to the goal and don't manage to the visibility of the individual who's working for you. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, let's jump into your retail career. Like you said, you've, you, you found retail sure. rather than welding and um, thankfully for you, yes. and that's that's really been, uh, you know, a love that you've had for that industry ever since. Can you remember one of your first sort of in the deep end leadership opportunities in retail? Um, whatever it was, your experience was, oh, wow, okay, I am, you know, now responsible for this project or this store or this um, this particular, uh, you know, goal um, and it was just a bit of a stretch for you as a leader. Do you remember that sort of first experience like that or one of the first? Every time, every time I got a new position, I kept saying to myself, okay, I hope they know what they were doing because they appointed me and I'm not sure I do. <laughs> um, but I would say that the, the biggest learning from early, early on is, um, as a salesperson on the floor, um, I could only do so much. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew salespeople were coming in at one point and they were outperforming me four to one and I was top dog until they showed up and I said, okay, well, how do I do four to one? And I can't, I mean, it just, I just don't have the capability. I don't have the skill or something I'm missing. And so it became clear to me that what I could achieve was a lot more by influence than I could by doing. And I think that in management, um, you know, this, the people who, um, have the biggest jobs with the biggest, uh, the biggest salaries or the biggest rewards, whatever way they measure rewards, um, are the ones who have the biggest influence. Um, and I think early, early on, um, I'd, I'd stand up in front of a group of people and declare a vision of what was possible if we did what, and, um, and walked away amazed at the attention that I would capture. And, and then the group working as a team was just, it was just magical. It was just, it was just to see that everyone knew their part and everybody appreciated their part. And when we celebrated, we celebrated as one. And when we took a defeat, we took it as one. And, and, um, you know, it was just, I was always just struck by that. And then it took me a long time to actually figure out that the gift of the gab is, is, um, is something, but the gift of, of gathering uh, people together and, and, and getting their attention and to create a common goal was gold. And um, I think that that is seen more and more as you look at, you know, the best team sport leaders and, you know, it, I can only do so much and I'll only get rewarded so much for what I can do. I'm limited, mm. but the limitations are whatever you put on yourself when it comes to influence. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, I love how you've articulated that because for people listening who may not be in a leadership role as such, uh, you know, I really, I love what John Maxwell says about how leadership is influence and, and knowing that um, through, there's so many things you can do even when you're not in a leadership role to have influence that are other things that you need anyway, once you're in a role, because 
being in a role gives you really none of the tools. It's everything. It's everything you need to learn about how to cast vision, how to how to you know tell stories. I'm a big believer in how important that is for leaders. You mentioned a key one earlier, how to listen. All of these things anyone can do in any position. Was there a question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. I was just. I just finished. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do have. A, I do. I do have a question for you, though. Um, <laughs> yes, I'd, please. I'd love to know who some of the mentors have been for you along the way. The people who've had the the most positive influence on your leadership. You know, I thought about that question when I knew I was coming on this podcast, and the the. Of course, there's there's some that are more dominant than others, but I had so many mentors uh, uh, throughout my 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 life, and still do. And and the mentors have come from. Sometimes they showed up in my life for a very short period of time, and you know, as if a purpose there to to get me through one one level of thinking that I might not have been able to do on my own. And um, others that were there through my entire life. I have a brother that is very very close uh, in in that capacity since I was 12 years old, taking me under his wing <clears throat> and and basically showing me the way of um, of endless possibilities really it's not uh, there was no guidance that you should do this or you should do that. I never heard him say that once but so he was quite influential but I had um, professional leaders along the way and and I think sometimes a mentor is um, is it doesn't have to be a life role it doesn't have to be, someone who's there for uh, an extended period of time. But what they can be is someone who can can strike you at the right moment in your life and be very profound. So the, the quantity of those people have been very fortunate. And I've had, uh, I've had many. I've had, um, <clears throat> I've had some who, um, one particular gentleman who basically took me under his wing and said, um, I want you to be my protege. And I said, Okay, uh, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, and and basically, we were speaking the same language from a different generation at the time, and he would like to listen to how I saw um, problematics, uh, whatever we were we were working on, and he would challenge me to think at a higher level, and um, and just you know that was a. a, a six-year relationship, seven-year relationship. But during that period of time, uh, I grew a lot. Matter of fact, at some point, um, I'd be coaching him and he'd be coaching me the next day. And it was, it was, it was an incredible relationship. So the mentors are, are so frequent. And I think that can happen because you're open to listen. Um, and if you're very coachable, you'll find mm. all sorts of mentors in your life. Um, you know, the, the, the hardest thing, you know, the people will say that, um, you should be giving support and you should be receiving support. You know, we hear that in all kinds of different contexts and, and both are not so easy. I think you have to earn the right to give support. You have to show yeah. that you are a listener, that you are actually there for the individual that you're giving support to. And receiving support, um, you have to be that that open ended. You have to be able to use the right words that that welcome the not so perfect coaching uh, on the first try, um, and understand that even if you know everything that's being said, 
there may be something at the very end that you don't know. And so your patience mm. and your, your willingness to listen people through the end is, is often where the dividends pay. Um, and I think that uh, I've had children and grandchildren that have been mentors for me. Uh, just being a, men, a mirror for me. I have my wife that's a mentor to me. Uh, you know, people who are not afraid to um, have the mirror up in front and say, uh, really? <laughs> I think you need to rethink this and, 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 just, and just live in the question. And I know it's, it sounds redundant, but live in the question is, uh, I think, is, uh, is a big part of giving support and a big yeah. part of receiving support. So what do you mean when you say live in the question? Well, when somebody's faced with a problem, any problem, and you ask, um, you ask four people what they think, and all too often you get an answer that's very, very fast and furious. <laughs> um, here's the answer to this, to this particular problem, business problem or whatever have you. And the challenge with that is that if the answer is there, you stop looking. But if it's something that you're trying to have a breakthrough, I'm not talking about day-to-day -day stuff and how to bake a pie, but, but things like how do, I, how do I penetrate a new market with products that have yet to be seen in the format that we have, um, we have challenged ourselves to do. And, you know, you can get all kinds of, of answers and some could be, oh, you're crazy, don't do that. Um, and then maybe the right thing. But if you live in the question, you have a multitude of uh, people coming through with either answers or they know people who know people. And the longer you live in the question, not forever, you have to make a call at some point, but the longer you live in the question, the more assured you are of the best of the answers possible. And I just find that people are, we're in a fast food world. Um, people are just in a hurry. This is the answer. Well, it may be the answer for today, but does it answer the problem for tomorrow? And, um, you know, I guess it also stems from if you're in problem solving, everybody wants to know how to solve the problem. And yet that in itself is part of why many dreams don't go forward. I'll discipline the questioning such as, what do you want? Can you describe it to me like I was a six-year-old? Like, be really clear. What is it that you want? And the second question is not how. The second question is, why do you want it? And the third question is, when do you want it? Because everything else I can buy. Everything else I can, I can procure some, some way or another. Somebody knows how to get things done. But if you don't know what you want and why you want it, there's no point starting. And that in itself is living in the question. Those are quality questions. And the more quality the question, the quality the answer. So what do you want? Why do you want it? And when do you want it? Because my house will depend on those three questions. It's as simple as mm. stupid, no? But it's, 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 it is the, uh, it's unfortunately what we trip up on because you, you'll yeah. say, I want to achieve this. And somebody's right there. Oh, but do you know how hard that is? Mm. Um, oh, but we'll never have the technology for it. Or, oh my God, do you know what it takes to sell in another country? I mean, well, it just goes on and on. And I find that, you know, that is, that's, mm. I don't listen to that because I, I'm not looking for that as the answer. What do we want? Why do we want it? What's my motivation? What do I want is my mission. It's my, it's my clarity. It's my, it's the thing that I can say at the end of the day, we can check that box because that's what we set out to do. And that's what we're going to do. We are going to do this. 
why yeah. we're going to do it is my motivation, what gets me up in the morning. And when changes the type of tools I need and how much resources I need. Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite questions. I think it was Peter Thiel, uh, Peter Thiel, however you pronounce it. Um, and he, he asked this question, uh, what, what, what are your 10 year goals for an organization? Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? Which that's not an uncommon question, but his follow up question after someone articulated that would be, how could you get there in six months? What would it look like to achieve that in six months? And I, I you reminded me of that because that's it's the question. when, <laughs> the when changes your perspective, right? It's like, okay, well, that might be where you want to go. But if you're going to sure. get there in six months, suddenly you automatically start to see levers that aren't going to give you that level of scalability. And it opens your eyes to things that you may have otherwise just um, ignored. Absolutely. Well, thank you for articulating that. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about aha moments in your leadership career. Can you think of any moments that were, it was a leadership shift for you or it was an epiphany? Um, you learned something by, from a mistake or from watching someone else or being part of a, a team that achieved something unlikely. Any, any aha moments you can share with us? I had a major one. Um when I was working for this uh, mentor that uh, I worked with for about six years and um, I had hired, I made a bad hire and it was somebody remote from where we were. So, you know, it's the occasional visit and the phone calls every, every week. But anyway, basically uh, I had the wool pulled over my eyes and I did not see the damage he was causing. And so my boss and my mentor, my boss's boss went out on a, on a store visit. And they came back and they didn't know how to tell me um, that it was a disaster. And, and as they're telling me this, I mean, I, I was just blindsided and, and I even knew some of the things, but I was kind of, kind of put them off because it didn't fit my scenario. It didn't fit my, what, my narrative. And um, so anyway, I fixed the problem for sure. Um, but I said to my boss's boss, I said, I, I will tender my resignation. And he says, whatever for, and I said, well, I cost the, the company a lot of money. It's like, I don't, I don't deserve the, um, the respect or the, uh, the accountability that you've given me. And it's just like, this should not have happened. He says, what do you think this mistake cost? And I said, oh, I don't know. I, in pure profit, I don't know, 200,000. I have no idea, but it's gotta be a lot. And he said, so let me get this straight. So it cost me $200,000 for you to learn this and you're going to, somebody else is going to benefit from it. <laughs> so I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> and see it that way. And, um, I stayed with him quite a few years after, but, uh, yes, it was, uh, it was how you take mistakes as, as part of the learning. And, um, he, you know, he never destroyed me by which, you know, could have been common ground in many, many places, uh, no raised tones, no, it was all about let's 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 try to figure out what what got you here and how we can fix it and then from there it doesn't happen again that's all Incredible. and so yeah i would think that's the biggest aha moment mm, yeah no that's that's a wonderful story he sounds like a very wise uh, wise leader <laughs> very much <laughs> very well much let's so. ju let's jump into <laughs> leadership express the first question i have for you walter what is a book that you've gifted a lot to other people or you've recommended it a lot to other people? 
I would say during uh, during my my years, uh, found lots of different books, but Nine Habits of Highly Effective People, I still think is the um, is the, is the book that is adaptable to so many people and to different times. It's kind of timeless. I, I think it's it, the true north is true north of that book. And mm. 21 Irrefutable Laws of, of Leadership, uh, John Maxwell, you were quoting a while ago. But, you know, to me, these are just practical points of mm. view mm-hmm. on uh, that you can turn around and use. And, and the way I would take a book like Nine Habits is that um, I would learn it and then I would teach it. And I would set up um, teaching sessions and I would build modules. And I met Stephen Covey one day and I told him I was doing that. And he says, you making money from it? And I said, I'm earning a living, but not because of this. He says, and that's what the book was for. <laughs> um, but I, I always find that the best way to learn is to teach. And, uh, yeah. and it never failed me because it's just uh, what, you, <laughs> what you're rusty on at the beginning. First thing you know, it's like you start getting a little bit better. First thing you know, you're an expert or at least as close as one can be. But those would yeah, be the two high... Uh, high recommendations wonderful recommendations and it's so true the best way to truly embed um something is to teach it to someone else and then have them say look at you puzzled and you have to actually really know what you're talking about um and and so i think that's um wonderful advice uh one thing that comes up a lot for leaders is the importance of their one-on-ones you know their one-on-one meetings with direct reports what advice or tips would you give to leaders about how to run an effective one-on-one well, as a leader, uh, the one-on-one belongs to the person who's showing up, not you. Um, and, you know, this, this whole listening thing is a, is a big thing. I mean, you know, semi-structured is okay. Uh, here are the questions that I have outstanding. And, and I think people appreciate that you gave that one-on-one some time. Uh, you were thinking about it. It didn't just happen because it happened to be on the calendar. But it's three quarters of the time, and if it's an hour, it's three quarters of that hour. It belongs to the person showing up to be able to articulate the challenges and the wins and the and the, the thought process or live in the question about some of the things that they have to do. Sometimes you don't have a lot to offer. The expertise is, is you know, somebody comes to me in a, with, a, with a technology challenge. I'll be more interested in how they're going to think through the problem than trying to solve the problem because I couldn't do it anyway. Um, so it's, mm. uh, I think that's number one rule on a one-on-one you don't own it. The person who's showing up owns it. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful thought. Uh, what about one habit? If you had to pick one habit, funny that we just talked about the book about habits. Um, but if you had to pick one habit for <laughs> any leader that makes a positive difference in life and leadership, that you'd recommend to others? What would be one habit? I think, uh, I think begin with the end in mind. Um, I, I, the life is full of challenges and things that you got to get through. I mean, we just went through a, a day where we had some challenges with technology, couldn't get logged on or whatever. And people living in that moment to moment, and that, that's, it's nothing. It's important at the moment you can't log in, but it's nothing. It's, it's, it, it has no real impact. But begin with the end in mind. Um, Bentley is going to be an international travel uh, company that has um, the travel in a box. And that's what we will be when this is done. And every step that we do in the meantime has to line itself up with that end in mind. And I think that the end in mind gets lost because the hurdles along the way can be tiring. (laughs) 
yeah, that's that's um, that's so good. What's one commonly held belief in retail that you passionately disagree with? Well, I mean, in the last uh, the last uh, twenty years, probably that the end of retail is in sight. Um, I think that uh, you know the one thing about retail is that if you take a look at the top five percent, they're they're hyper successful. Um, then the next fifteen to twenty percent do pretty good, and the rest of them kind of struggle on a day to day basis. And and you know, in in Canada, probably maybe Australia is the same. Uh, just based on the population over such distances, that the challenge that we have is that we have a lot of competition and very few people. So we always have to be reinventing ourselves. We always have the competition. The wolf is at the door. And the last couple of years, the the belief that there were you know bricks and mortar are no longer necessary. I heard it from so many people that I, I stopped talking to, just because that was their only belief. They were only thought that they had was that how could retail ever survive this? And here we are, you know. And I look at the best shopping centers and the best retailers. Mm. They've had a chance to reinvent themselves during this time. And I think that the most, some of the most resilient people, oddly enough, are farmers and retailers, um, because you <laughs> you you never have ideal weather, you never have ideal conditions, mm. and you always have uh, everything is pressed to your ear and up to the nose on 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 what it is that you have to overcome. But it makes us really good as a general industry to survive. And um, I'm I'm amazed. I'm totally amazed at how um, even shopping centers that get criticized a lot um, everywhere in the world, I guess. Uh, and you look at some of the innovation that they've been thinking of through this, this downtime and the tremendous amount of money that they're putting to reinvent the experience. Um, I say hats off. It's kudos to them because, uh, it, they didn't sit on this investment and saying, well, it's gotta be over. How can it be over? The people still need an experience. Online is a great place to buy in store is a great place to shop. How do you combine them? Mm. That's the question yeah. I live in every day. Yeah, I love that question. That's great. Um, what about uh, if we stick with retail, what do you see as a big problem or challenge for leaders in the retail space in the next decade? I think in the next decade, in the next year, the next five years, uh, it's all going to be about, um, you know, the demand is going to be there. It's going to alter. You have to listen to the consumer as they change. And they're right now they're asking, the consumer is very clear that they're asking for, you know, a better experience, a better quality. Um, I don't want to spend it on 10 items, but make the one item count. Um, so I think that, that that value for money has always been there to a degree. It's just, it's just changed the definition of what value for money is today versus uh, versus what it meant 15 years ago. But I would think over the next uh, 10 years anyway, it's going to be where your supply comes from. Um, and not just because of the recent uh, upheaval of, of things that are happening with, you know, cargo freights and all that stuff going through the roof. And, you know, I know, I know when I'm ordered something, but who knows when I'm going to get it. That we'll figure those things out over time. I think in another 18 months from now, it'll be a lot better than it is today. 
but I think there's a consciousness about, you know, taking things and nearshoring is, is becoming a big, uh, a big uh, point of discussion. And, and while it's not possible everywhere due to labor issues, um, I think that's a lot more possible than we ever dreamed it was. And, and soon as you um, give the opportunity um, for an industry to reinvent how you do supply, it will. And um, I think that the the unrest that's happening and the the uh, everything that's happening with you know uh, Chinese uh, imports and exports, and it's 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 going to be a challenge. And I think that that's going to be probably for the better in the long run. Uh, but in the short time, there's going to be a lot of upheaval about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any favorite questions? You mentioned some already, uh, so maybe you could share again one of those or share something different a favorite question in a one-on-one with a team with stakeholders um you know if you're doing running a workshop uh, and training people on something do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask well it's it's you know it's 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 around the same kind of <clears throat> thought process but it's what could happen if we did what and and it's it's a question that given the context of any particular meeting don't tell me what i can do tell me if i could do anything at all what would the outcome be and and it's a question that people don't live in naturally i mean there's there's times where you see people putting together offsites and and trying to to gather um, a collective thought. And if you're a participant, it can drive me sometimes just insane because, you know, you walk away and you don't know if you even contributed or if they contributed to you because it was just, it just filled time. But if you, if you go into any particular um, meetings, especially where you're, you have this, this objective, like don't have 10 questions to answer, answer one, an answer one that's profound, that has a little bit further reach. And that stretches everybody's imagination to beyond what they came in the meeting with, and um, and mm -hmm. so there's there's many questions around that, but the, but it lives into, I don't believe in in quick answers as you can tell by now, and and I don't believe in um, having a problem that no one else has figured out that we're going to pull it off in four hours. Um, I think it it's just if you can come off a, a four hour. Uh, retreat and have an incredible question to live in for the next two months, you've won. Because then you have people who know people and all of a sudden your answers come from places you never dreamed of. Um, uh, you know, this, this incredible mentor from way back when is that ask the universe. Well, ask the universe. I didn't understand what that meant. This some kind of, you know, a prayer session or what is this? And ask the universe basically is whatever you believe you believe. But Ask the Universe was basically the more people you tell of what it is that you're trying to achieve, you don't know who knows who. And all of a sudden, someday one guy calls you and says, you know, I heard that you wanted to have this, this problem solved. And, um, and there you go. And it's happened when um, we had to restructure Bentley. It happened mm. this way. Mm. I, 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 I say to people, I sold a company I didn't even own. <laughs> Because <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> we needed new owners, and we just—I told enough people and the right people, and one person showed up, and he says, "Hey, you know what? I think I can help you." That's awesome. And we ended up with some of the best partnerships that uh, that you could dream of. 
Wonderful, wonderful thoughts. Do you have any favorite quotes or is there maybe just one that comes to mind that is a, a favorite of yours? It's something that you always think about or you've, you've framed it or it's just one that you um, stuck in your mind? Well, the one we used way too, way too often in the last couple of years was Winston Churchill. Never let a good disaster go to waste. And I might be not quite phrasing it well, but it's just, you know, when you when you're hit with a disaster, when you're hit with something that's so seems like such a challenge, how do you turn it into an opportunity? And, um, you know, there are assets in every single thing that we do. Um, you're over inventoried. Well, OK, that's one way to look at it. I have enough inventory that I could drive a ton of sales is another way to look at it. Um, I'm over inventoried as a problem, but having no inventories is a bigger problem. But the biggest problem of all is having no customers because we're closed. You know, so it depends. Everything is 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 perspective and everything is about looking at things and saying, you know what, you have a disaster on your hands. Um, and another one of his quotes, when you're going through hell, keep going. Eventually you get through. <laughs> yeah, they're great quotes. And it's so true, isn't it? Thinking of uh, someone like that going through what, what he had to lead through is encouraging oh because God. it puts things in perspective um yeah, actually get nothing to worry about one of, one of the things that's really high on my list as uh, something i really want to read uh, one of the podcast guests recommended um the journals or you know of of winston churchill through through the wars it's more it's maybe not even a journal it's more like his notes from each day of of um world war Two, and um it's like you know uh, hundreds if not thousands of pages but it gives you a real sense of the thinking of of the man who was leading through such a crisis um, and I remember they mentioned that they read that and just found it really interesting to be able to to see the thoughts as they were happening when he didn't know what the result was going to be like and I thought oh that's such a good read I really so that's that's right up there for me as one of the um resources i'm going to find and, and and read or listen to i don't know if it's available in audio um, but uh, i'm going to track it down because i just thought that would be a, a fascinating read and it's interesting when you i, I don't claim to know uh, much about the man but from what i do understand is everything about his leadership before the war and after the war pales tremendously compared to the crisis management that he was able to do Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, it's uh, you assume someone who has such a place in history would have been an amazing, revered leader, but yeah, before and after, there was he he had a lot of challenges and uh, probably made some wrong decisions. Lots and, of challenges, and yeah, upset a bunch of people <laughs> before and after. Um, so really <laughs> Daily. interesting case study. Yeah. <laughs> um, so last question: If you could only give one piece of leadership mm -hmm. advice to a young leader. What would you say to them? I don't know. One piece of advice, I, I think, uh, I think to 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 be able to project yourself into a future role of any kind, um, you have to be a servant. Um, if you if you look at yourself as a servant. And you look at yourself as earning every step of the way. And every time you're going to step into a new role, you have to have imagined it and lived it and behaved according to it way before they ever gave you the promotion. Um, and, and, you know, that to be subservient to the people you serve, 
is um, is not just something for the government or the army. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a leadership absolute. You have to be able to serve the people, and um, it served me well um, because serving uh, the people, even from the back of the pickup truck with my mom and saying that we were going to have the best vegetables, we were going to have the best presentation, we were going to make sure that the woman walked away with a smile, buying more than she ever expected she needed in vegetables. <laughs> but you had to serve. Mm. That's amazing that you had that lesson at such a young age, um, because I, 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 I would have to think that's got to be one of the, I can't think of maybe a more important secret for retail than that lesson. hundred percent. I couldn't articulate a darn thing of that when I was that age, but it's just looking back, of course. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's why, um, that's why I love to start with those questions about when you're young, because things are being modeled. You have no idea what's happening. And then you get older and you go, wow, yeah, that is actually where I probably first learned that idea, even though I just was watching and I didn't know what I was learning, but we're like, you know, sponges when we're little. Um, well, Walter, this has been such a joy for people who've really appreciated your thoughts uh where can they find you or follow you online and also find out more about bentley and co i think uh linkedin is 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 probably the the one place that um i put whatever uh whatever literature that uh, that i put up is uh, it's it's the easiest site for me uh and bentley uh, it's uh, walter.lamot at bentley uh, and co or that's my website, <laughs> sorry, um, walter.lamot at bentleygroup.com. There we go. Uh, and um, <laughs> yeah, any inquiries for um, for what we do for a living, I'm usually sharper early in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. What a fun podcast and just great stories. And uh, I've really enjoyed today. Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. Uh, But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Walter, for being so generous with your time, uh, sharing wonderful anecdotes, um, stories about uh, selling door to door and, um, you know, just at, at a at a young age, selling vegetables door to door. And um, yeah, that's just that that's a beautiful story that links to years and years of incredible leadership in retail. Um, but most of all, it's been a real joy to spend time together. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Likewise, Juno. My pleasure. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. 
yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.